Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have terrific guests for today's show, including William Yateman. He is a research fellow at the Cato Institute. We'll also visit with Taryn Bragdon. Taryn is the founder and CEO of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Terrific organization, getting so much done. Of course, uh, having to pivot now that we have uh, a Democrat administration, we'll find out how he's doing that. We'll also visit with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It is March the 12th, and on this day in 1933, eight days after his inauguration, President Franklin D. Roosevelt gave his first national radio address, or fireside chat, broadcast directly from the White House. He began his first address simply by saying, I want to talk for a few minutes with the people of the United States about banking. He went on to explain his recent decision to close the nation's banks in order to stop a surge in mass withdrawals by panicked investors worried about possible bank failures. The banks would be reopened the next day, Roosevelt said, and he thanked the public for their fortitude and good temper during the banking holiday. At the time, the U.S. was at its lowest point of the Great Depression, with between 25 and 33 percent of the workforce unemployed. The uh, nation was worried, and Roosevelt's address was designed to ease fears and to inspire confidence in his leadership. He went on to deliver 30 more of these broadcasts between March 1933 and June 1944. They reached an astonishing number of American households, 90 percent of which owned a radio at the time. Journalist Robert Trout coined the phrase fireside chat to describe Roosevelt's radio addresses invoking an image of the president sitting by a fire in a living room speaking earnestly to the American people about his hopes and dreams for the nation. In fact, Roosevelt took great care to make sure each address was accessible and understandable to ordinary Americans regardless of their level of education. He used simple vocabulary and relied on folksy anecdotes or analogies to explain the often complex issues facing the country. Over the course of his historic 12-year presidency, he used the chats to build popular support for his groundbreaking New Deal policies in the face of stiff opposition from big business and other groups. After World War II began, he used them to explain his administration's wartime policies to the American people. The success of Roosevelt's chats was evident, not only in his three re-elections, but also in the millions of uh, letters that flooded the White House. Farmers, business owners, men, women, rich, poor, most of them expressed the feeling that the president had entered their home and spoke directly to them. In an era where the president had previously communicated with their citizens, mostly exclusively through spokespeople and journalists, it was an unprecedented and extremely effective step. Fireside chat. And yet, uh, President uh, FDR, he was not one of our great presidents. Actually, I think he extended 
the Depression by eight years through some of his uh, leadership and through some of his uh, policies, irrespective, his communication style, unprecedented and extremely effective. So how about President Biden? He made an announcement to address, he addressed the nation yesterday. That was part of the next phase in combating the coronavirus. He's directing, uh, he's directing states, tribes, and territories to ensure everyone is eligible for vaccination by May the 1st. Did you see the presentation? Uh, So unimpressive. Virtually no one, only 7,141, tuned into the White House YouTube channel to watch Dementia Joe's speech for 20 minutes. His uh, doom and gloom speech was not inspiring at all. He lied about Trump's and and threaten Americans with indefinite lockdowns if we don't wear masks and maintain social distancing. He actually believes he has the authority to tell Americans who we can spend the 4th of July with. If we do our part, he said, by July 4th, there's a good chance you, your families, and friends will be able to get together in your backyard or in your neighborhood and have a cookout or a barbecue and celebrate Independence Day. Small groups will be able to get together, he said. But then Biden threatened to take it all away if we don't stay vigilant. If we don't stay vigilant and the conditions change, then we may have to reinstate restrictions to get back on track, he said. Tucker Carlson didn't like that at all. He went off on Joe Biden. How dare you tell us who we can spend the 4th of July with, said Tucker. The new directive comes as part of a broader strategy that included increasing the number of vaccine sites and the active duty troops supporting the vaccination effort. The White House is also rolling out a new website and an 800 number to assist with finding vaccines. So far, states have limited eligibility, prioritizing high-risk individuals and frontline workers, although more states have recently expanded the field of who can obtain a vaccination. Biden's speech came at the, as the U.S. started a second year under some form of lockdown. During his speech, Biden set a goal for Americans to begin holding gatherings by July the 4th. Uh, Kind of unbelievable. July the 4th. Right now, I think we should all be taking off our masks. Right now, the numbers are down. We'll talk about the numbers here in Collier County in just a moment. But we were hit with a virus that was met with silence and spread unchecked denials for days, weeks, then months, he said. Echoing comments from his campaign, he added, that led to more deaths, more infections, more stress, and more loneliness. Of course, (laughs) President Trump just did a fantastic job of responding to the virus. In fact, he developed uh, Operation Warp Speed, developed the uh, vaccine. Biden, of course, gives absolutely no credit uh, to Trump for these accomplishments. With the newly passed American Rescue Plan, Biden's administration is putting $130 billion towards reopening schools with a focus on mitigation strategies and hiring staff. These dollars will help schools pay for the critical supplies and implement the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention's recommended mitigation strategies, hiring more staff and avoid laying off current staff to accommodate the need for smaller class sizes due to fiscal distancing and support children's academic and social and emotional needs after a challenging year, the White House fact sheet reads. Crazy. Here we are in Collier County. Our schools are open right now. 80% of the kids are attending brick-and-mortar schools. 
they should learn from uh, Collier County. Other stimulus funds will go towards expanding testing and efforts at detecting variants of the virus. In an appeal to the whole country, Biden urged everyone to do their quote-unquote part, which he said included wearing face masks. Nope, I don't think I'm in. Don't count me in on that one, Joe. President Joe Biden signed the $1.9 trillion coronavirus relief package yesterday afternoon as Washington moves to send fresh aid to this month. The historic legislation, he said, is about rebuilding the backbone of this country. Biden said that before signing legislation, giving people in this nation, working people, middle-class folks, the people who built this country, a fighting chance, he said. Actually, the legislation hurts the little guy the most, unfortunately, and very little of the money, $1.9 trillion, actually works its way down to people in the form of financial help. By the way, no press conference, no questions asked, the 50th day now, and uh, he's still inaccessible to the press. The Florida Department of Health reported 84 new COVID-19 cases and no additional deaths in Collier County on Thursday. The seven-day moving case new case average in Collier is 69, about 47% fewer than the average on February the 1st. At approximately 2 p.m. yesterday, there were 48 patients with COVID-19 in Collier County hospitals. That's down a whole bunch. So again, I think good signs are showing that uh, we're seeing the end of this pandemic. It's time to unmask, in my opinion. Well, Dr. Anthony Fauci, President Joe Biden's chief medical advisor, was unable to justify the reasoning for not saying it's safe for Americans who have been vaccinated for COVID-19 to travel during his interview with CNN on Wednesday. We know from the Biden administration they say it will take their decisions Based on science, what's the science behind not saying it's safe for people who've been vaccinated to receiving two doses travels, said John Berman. You know, that's a very good question, John. And the CDC is very carefully heading in that direction. You know, we, when, when Dr. Walensky made the announcement a day or two ago about the fact that you have a couple of people, two or three or more, in a family setting, both of whom are vaccinated, even if someone from another, a friend, isn't or doesn't have to be a member of a family, then the first in a multi-step process they're going to be ruling out, Fauci said. In other words, a bunch of gibberish suggesting that there are reasons why people can't fly and can't travel if they've been uh, vaccinated. That's just unbelievable. Fauci goes on, they've been very careful. Understandably, they want to get science, they want to get data. And then when you don't have the data and you don't have the actual evidence, you've got to make a judgment call, he continued. And I think that's what you're going to be seeing in the next week. You're going to see little by little, more little guidelines getting people to be more and more flexible. Fauci assured viewers, such questions like uh, that can be vaccinated, people to go out and travel or get a haircut will be answered by the CDC imminently, he said. Fauci's judgment call answer did not sit well with some people, including me. Uh, Fauci has no credibility, in my opinion. As far as a public uh, health official is concerned, he's changed his mind more than times and he's uh, gotten a haircut. Quite frankly, uh, I don't think he can be trusted. He doesn't reference science when he makes his decisions. 
He's, uh, it's just unbelievable. Quite frankly, I think we should all unmask and go about our business uh, right now because uh, it's pretty clear to me that this whole thing is winding down. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning Naples, longest established air conditioning company. Visit johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also by Life in Naples magazine, be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Did you know St. Matthew's House operates the only emergency homeless shelters in Collier County? St. Matthew's House provided more than 500,000 hot meals to those in need last year, and since 2010, 527 men and women have graduated from the St. Matthew's House Justin's Place Addiction Recovery Program. For over 30 years, St. Matthew's House has provided innovative solutions to fight homelessness, hunger, substance abuse, and poverty in Southwest Florida. And you can help St. Matthew's House in this life-transforming work by patronizing the St. Matthew's House Thrift Stores, Cafe M25, Car Wash and Detailing Center, and award-winning catering operations. For more information, visit stmatthewshouse.org. That's stmatthewshouse.org. St. Matthew's House is a 501c3 not-for-profit organization and does not solicit government funding. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Gulf Shore Playhouse, bringing you professional New York-style theater at its very best. The website is gulfshoreplayhouse.org. Coming up, we're going to visit with Taryn Bragdon, the founder and CEO of the Foundation for government accountability right now we have with us william yateman research fellow at the cato institute william thank you so much for joining us thank you so much for having me on bob always a pleasure so i always enjoy talking to you about the breaking events what's happening right now and yesterday with uh, very little ceremony and no questions the president signed the covid 1.9 trillion dollar covid bill and he also gave his speech last night his 20 minute uh 
<laughs> inspiring speech. What are your thoughts? Well, I, I think there was a contrast between the speech and the bill. Um, on the one hand, I'll note that Biden called for a return to normalcy, which is certainly something I support, um, as I've noted you know, a number of times in our conversations. Um, on the other hand, he, he, he stressed the unity canard again, um, notwithstanding the fact that the bill that they're celebrating, this COVID stimulus, um, was indeed a partisan affair. I, mean, I think of last week I quoted Mitch McConnell um, calling it, and we were correctly calling it a grab bag of progressive priorities. Um, so I think there was a mismatch between, you know, again, this call or emphasis on unity and, and what we actually got in the bill. Um, and indeed, I think there's been a mismatch between the call for unity and, and virtually all of the policies that, that have emanated from the White House and the Democratic-controlled Congress in the last two months. Yeah, I mean, uh, what, what surprises me is that there's such a small minority, a small majority, I should say, of Democrats in the House, and it's 50-50 in the Senate, and yet people are voting on party lines for things. It just, it's just unbelievable to me that we don't see uh, some blue dog Democrats somehow, some way saying, wait, wait a minute, this doesn't make any sense at all. I 100% agree, but I'll note this. Um, that's not really how, they didn't have the opportunity. Um, your listeners, no doubt, are aware of that 70s commercial, How a Bill Becomes a Law, with a catchy song. That's not, none of that occurs these days. In the modern Congress, leadership in the House and the Senate um, gather behind closed doors and negotiate thousand-plus page bills that they then impose on the rank and file and the other party at the last second. So, the upshot is, is that there were, wasn't really an opportunity for blue dogs nor Republicans um, to oppose the bill because they didn't know what was in it. And a couple examples that, that were really striking. So recall that the House and the Senate passed different versions of the COVID stimulus. So that means they had to go to a conference committee to, to iron out the differences and create one bill that was then returned to both houses or both chambers of Congress. And that ultimately became the COVID stimulus. Um, Two provisions in that last second conference in, in those negotiations um, were instituted. One was a race-based system of farm aid, whereby, uh, in essence, minority farm farmers got all sorts of benefits in a program that simply weren't available to non-minority hmm. um, farmers. So that raises all sorts of constitutional questions. Um, the other was a, a, a stealth provision that effectively prohibits any state that takes the stimulus money from reducing their taxes, from cutting their taxes. Um, and again, that, that's pretty controversial, and, and that's on tenuous constitutional ground. But those are the sorts of things that, that again, were, were snuck into the bill during these closed-door sessions, and then which were, in, a, in essence, um, kind of imposed upon the Congress as a body at the last second. So they didn't really have an opportunity to to. To, to mount any opposition because the, there wasn't enough time to know what was in the bill. And alas, that's the way Congress works these days. Yeah, unfortunately, and you just take a step back, you take a look at unemployment is at 6.23%, I believe, or 6.3%. The economy is moving along just fine, and this stimulus is going to do nothing, I think, to really enhance the economy whatsoever. It's simply, in my opinion, creating a slush fund for the Democrat Party to, to enhance their agenda going forward for the next few years. Uh, indeed, and uh, I think that at the very least, 
um, there is a strong consensus that it didn't have to be this big. Um, that, that is to say, two trillion, um, and much of the spending largely unrelated mm-hmm. to, to economic stimulus and largely unrelated to COVID. Uh, again, it was just this progressive wish list. Um, so, uh, even the Washington Post, which is again a, a, a fairly progressive outfit, or you know, has a liberal mindset, its editorial page. Even they poo-pooed the Congress for, for making the bill this big. I mean, they had pointed out you know, hundreds of billions of dollars that seemed superfluous but seemed unnecessary in spending. So um, whether or not the whole $2 trillion, I mean, uh, uh, whether or not any stimulus whatsoever was, was necessary, I mean, we have this unemployment insurance deadline coming up on March 14th. Um, but again, that's only a small minority of the spending, a small portion, and, and two trillion. I think the universal consensus is that that was just ridiculous. And I, you know, what I'm hearing is that that, that they're not done. They'd like to have the infrastructure project. They want to have trillions more. <laughs> Indeed. Um, and first, we'll note this: Congress had already spent about three and a half children, a trillion on COVID stimulus. Um, so this was two trillion in addition to that. So we're getting up around five point five, six trillion, and just the COVID stuff. Before the ink was even dry on the president's signature, um, they're already banding about in Congress the next priority, which is a $2 trillion infrastructure. Oh, I'm sorry. That, that was, uh, so uh, $2 trillion was the infrastructure bill as proposed by the Biden campaign. Now, uh, per uh, reports this morning from, I believe, the Politico, um, congressional Democrats are talking about a $4 trillion infrastructure bill. And, and I've got to note this. Most people, when they think of infrastructure bills, they think of bridges and they think of roads, but that's not what they're talking about. Um, They're talking about universal broadband access, and they're talking about mitigating climate change. So it is, uh, uh, I fear that perhaps we've entered this sentiment where cost is is utterly of no concern um, to the party that is in the majority in Congress and, and holds the White House, because... You know, again, six trillion already on the COVID stuff. They're talking two to four trillion more, and only in a matter of weeks. Mm-hmm. Um, there is, according to the reporting, it is uh, early May when this bill is expected to get going. So um, that's pretty darn troubling, um, given the I guess the loosey goosey nature with which the the current government is playing with the nation's po- po- pocketbook. So when interest rates go up to say four percent, for example, for thirty-year bonds or for uh, tenure uh, bonds, what's going to happen to the, the 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 expense for the federal government? It's going to go through the roof. How are we going to pay for this? <laughs> uh, alas, uh, sure, you know, there's only one way to pay for it, and that's the, uh, that we all pay for it. <laughs> I mean, and, you know, both directly through um, taxes, but also indirectly. I mean, to the extent that, just as you said, uh, the pay, the debt maintenance becomes so great. Um, what is it? Twenty-six trillion dollars for debt. I mean, you know, I, I, I think that's right, but uh, uh, um, don't quote me on that. Yeah. Um, you know, that uh, in essence, that starts crowding out other spending. So, um, this is a, a problem that quite clearly won't go away. And at some point, there's going to be a reckoning, whether or not it's um, our generations or my son's generations. Um, I, I don't know, but the bill will come due. Yeah, you know, I have so many other things I want to talk to you about, but, I, but I'd like to just uh, ask the final question about your thoughts on the president's speech yesterday. The speech, uh, again, mixed grades. I mean, I, I, I don't think um, 
let's be honest. I mean, the, the vaccination program, they largely continued exactly where Trump left off and continued, you know, uh, very much along the, the progression that was being met in the prior administration. So I think they're setting goals that are easy to meet, which is what every politician does. And I don't blame them for that. For that. Um, and I certainly do support this return to normalcy. I mean, I think that has to become ingrained in, in Americans' minds. I think people are, are perhaps losing hope that that could ever occur, a return to normalcy. So I appreciate that. But at the same time, his call for unity is utterly belied by his actions. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I, I do note that as well. Yeah. Again, William Yateman, Research Fellow at the Cato Institute. I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show, William. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me on, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Taryn Bragdon. Taryn is the founder and CEO of the Foundation for Government Accountability. We're going to do that and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Broadcasting Network. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the Intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit blueprovencenaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's blueprovencenaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Golfshore Playhouse is passionately committed to enriching our cultural landscape by producing professional theater to the highest artistic standards and providing unique educational opportunities to folks in a spirit of service, adventure, and excitement. Over the past 15 years, the Playhouse has expanded immensely, outgoing its current facilities. With dreams of expanding even further in order to better serve the community, broaden the economic impact, and strengthen the cultural fabric of our region, it's time to build and move into a new home. A 44,000 square foot state-of-the-art theater and education center will be built on three acres at the corner of First Avenue South and Goodlett Frank Road, allowing Gulf Shore Playhouse to achieve those dreams. To find out more about Gulf Shore Playhouse, this state-of-the-art performing arts center, and about the season's exciting productions, visit golfshoreplayhouse.org. That's golfshoreplayhouse.org. We'll see you at the show. to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. Among other things, they create policies and programs to get able-bodied folks off of welfare and back to work. It's a moral imperative, and you can find out more by visiting the website, thefga.org. Coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo, the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. Right now, we have with us Taryn Bragdon. He is the president 
the founder and CEO of the Foundation for Government Accountability. Taryn, thank you so much for joining us. Bob, thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Tell us about the Foundation for Government Accountability. Well, what we do at FGA is we work with policymakers at the state and federal level to really advance two big imperatives. One, as you just highlighted, is the power of work. We think that work's a miracle and that more people need to have access to either that first job or a better job. And so we look at government policies that help people get into that first job or remove barriers so they can get into a better job or uh, start a business. And then the second piece is a newer area for us is really securing our elections process with election integrity. Uh, If people don't trust in the electoral process, they won't participate. And that means bad things for America. And so we're advancing election reforms to restore that trust. It's so important. And how are you doing that, Taryn? Well, it's a similar process to how we work uh, in our other policy areas. Really, uh, on the election side, it's looking at what are the best practices, uh, what can we do to do everything from ensuring that voter registration rolls are accurate and kept up to date, how do you vote early or vote by mail in a secure and transparent way, and then how do we ensure that on the day of the election, that votes are counted quickly and results reported so that individuals know the outcome. Yeah. And then the one of the other areas is really ensuring that private money doesn't go towards local election offices. We saw this unprecedented amount of private money going to government election offices this last election cycle. And that's just not right, and we need to stop it. Uh, there's no question about it. And one of the things, and I, I, full disclosure, I, I serve on the board of the Foundation for Government Accountability and very proud of it, proud to support the organization. And one of the things, one of the strategies that I see is helping legislatures, and in some cases who may not have training and understanding about how to develop uh, good legislation, actually uh, helping them to understand which types of uh, legislation they want to stand behind, and then how to go about implementing it. That's exactly right. You know, I, I had the honor of serving in the state legislature in my home state of Maine uh, 25 years ago, and I can tell you firsthand that a lot of times people work hard to get elected because they want to do good things and do big things, but they need help knowing what exactly needs to be done, what solutions need to be advanced, and then help along the way whether it's testimony or research and analysis to actually get that legislation across the finish line. And so that's exactly what we do. So in other words, you you actually can uh, help a legislator, for example, choose a a form of legislation they want to support and help them build a strategy. In other words, you're kind of a coach to to help them uh, get get, uh, good legislation across the finish line. Correct. And, you know, a lot of times, too, they'll have their own uh, policy ideas, and we have expertise in a particular area, and so it's helping them build out their idea. It's not just showing up with a piece of paper that they then submit. It's really partnering with them to work through the details of some of these complex issues and helping them to really realize their goal of getting good policy done. Yeah. Well, this whole idea of bringing election integrity is so important, and I'm hopeful that I guess you're doing this on a statewide basis as opposed to trying to deal with the federal government? Correct. 
Yeah, so interesting. So here we are now. We've just seen a $1.9 trillion package passed, uh, a stimulus relief pill that, quite frankly, in my opinion, there's no need for it. They're looking even more and more spending. What can states do to protect themselves from... I mean, I, I look to Florida, for example, as a state where we have a governor who's protecting us from the uh, onslaught of federal legislation that can really uh, be uh, detrimental to all citizens. What are your thoughts? Well, I think you're absolutely right. In uh, Really, the left uses two tools at the federal level to try to get states and uh, citizens ultimately to bend to their will. And those two tactics are bribes, and bullying. And so the almost $2 trillion in stimulus is $2 trillion in essentially bribes to states to get them to ramp up government spending hmm. uh, that will require high taxes down the road to expand welfare, to make it more profitable to stay at home and not go to work because of the enhanced unemployment benefits. Or and we've seen this already from the Biden administration and all the executive orders, they just try to bully states into doing things that states don't have to do. And so we think that states need to, and governors like Governor DeSantis, just like you mentioned, need to stand up and reject these bribes and stand up to a bully. Uh, absolutely. I think the governor's just done an outstanding job, especially when it comes to COVID and uh uh, withstanding the pressure to, for example, mask up the entire state. Uh, what are your thoughts about the work of Governor DeSantis? I think he has been a great leader. And, you know, the wonderful thing about living in Florida, as you and I do, is we get to experience this firsthand. You know, I, I was in Wisconsin yesterday, and sometimes you forget until you travel outside of Florida just how closed and how restrictive the rest of the country is you know they had a bunch of businesses that were boarded up because of riots from this past summer this really aggressive mask mandate including as you're walking around outside uh, and just not the kind of prosperity that we're seeing down here and governor DeSantis has been a great leader in saying i'm going to protect lives particularly among the vulnerable elderly but i'm also going to protect livelihoods and ensure that people can go to work, start a business, and live the American dream. Uh, really outstanding. So uh, have you decided uh, may, or made any decisions to pivot because of the election results? In other words, has it changed your strategy dramatically? It has at the federal level. Uh, it, it, with really, we were on offense looking at getting good regulatory reforms done under the Trump administration. And now we've pivoted to defense of pushing back. Uh, and how we're doing that is partnering with attorneys general to initiate lawsuits. So when the federal government tries to bully states or overreach, we can sue. Uh, we've already filed our first lawsuit partnering with 17 attorney generals uh, looking at supporting Medicaid work requirements before the Supreme Court. But there's a lot of opportunity to push back. We have a really... Uh, record number of conservative judges, the most conservative Supreme Court since before the 1960s. And so now's the time to not complain about what Biden and his bullies are doing, but to fight back. And you can fight back through the courts. 
not only the courts, but also the state legislatures. If I'm not mistaken, right now we stand in really good stead when it comes to having conservative uh, uh, state legislatures as well as governors. You're absolutely right. We have a record number of uh, Republican majorities at the state level. Uh, not a record number, but a high number. Uh, and also uh, with strong Republican governors. And state legislators really are on the front lines. And I think that we have seen that they've learned the lesson during the Obama years that they need to stand up. And they're ready and doing that already now. Outstanding. Uh, Taryn, what can we do to support your efforts? Well, we appreciate uh, folks who uh, partner with us, uh, whether that's financially or folks who are interested in our policy areas and want to help support change in their own state. So listeners can go to our website, thefga.org, and learn more about our policy solutions. And if they'd like to partner or support our work, you can do that online as well. Thefga.org is the website, thefga. Taryn, I genuinely appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you, Bob. My pleasure, indeed. All right, coming up, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. You listen to The Bob Harden Show, so why not market your company to our loyal listeners? Ads are played live on each show and then archived so listeners can hear the show and your ad at their convenience. Each advertising package includes a banner on BobHarden.com with a link to your website at no extra charge. Join Lulabee's Diner, Johnson's Air Conditioning, Blue Provence, and many others who advertise on the show. Call me at 598-3889, that's 598-3889, or send an email to BobHarden at Hotmail.com to design an ad program that's just right for your business and your budget. You'll be pleasantly surprised at the cost and the value. Several advertisers have been with me for years. Find out why by calling 598-3889 or send me an email to bobharden at hotmail.com. You'll be glad you did. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host... Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I'm going to just uh, do a shout out to Choice Social. It's a new and refreshing new social networking platform. You can download the app by visiting choicesocial.us. 
and uh, take a look at it. It's really, uh, really interesting and really fun. I do post my show on uh, Choice Social as well. And hearing that uh, commercial about Dr. Markovich, he is a great surgeon, did a great job on my knees. But as you may know, just recently on actually February the 15th, I had uh, back surgery. It was major surgery and and, uh, was uh, considering it for five years. Finally, got to the point where the pain was just so absolutely excruciating that I was begging for for the opportunity to complete the surgery, and I'm so grateful that I did. Had a great doctor. Dr. Gary Cologne did a great job. I was kind of curious, though, when I... uh, said I wanted to check out. They said, well, I said I wanted to go settle up. They said, well, there's no need to do that. We'll send you a bill. Then I received a message in the mail saying, well, there's so much that Medicare is going to cover. They gave an exact amount. And they said everything else will be covered by insurance or else you'll have to pay something to that effect. In other words, pretty vague. So I said, you know, I'd like to get an actual copy of my bill. Not that I don't expect to have the cost coverage because I do have a good supplemental uh, Medicare program. But the point is this, when you read through the expenses involved in hospitalization, it is just incredible. Uh, For example, the cost for just a pill. Uh, There are just so many different things for uh, uh, therapy in the hospital and the charges that are involved. Just astronomical. The bill was a well. I'll say it was a it was a hundred and twenty some thousand dollars. One hundred twelve thousand dollars is what the total amount was for uh, back surgery, and uh, I'm so grateful that I had it. I think they did a great job. I'm pleased with the hospital and everything, but there's something drastically wrong with the pricing of our hospital care. And uh, I, you know, I think quite frankly, we just need more private sector and less government involved in the whole process. I think we'd be far better off. My guess is somehow the surgery surgeon and others were probably underpaid, and uh, it just it's it's just not wrong. It's just not right. Put it that way. Uh, I'm not prepared to, for example, do a thorough ad- ad investigation about it, but we can certainly talk to Michael Cannon about it the next time we have him on the show. He's the uh, he's the director of healthcare studies at the Cato Institute. Or for administration that prides itself on talking straight about the pandemic, self-congratulation Wednesday just went a little bit too far. President Joe Biden wrongly claimed the U.S. vaccinated a record 2.9 million people on Saturday, while his special advisor on the pandemic exaggerated the share of older Americans who've been fully immunized. Look at how their statements compare with these facts. Biden said... On Saturday, we hit a record of 2.9 million vaccinations. In one day in America, Andy Slavitt, a special advisor to the White House Virus Task Force, he said on Saturday, we set an all-time single-day record, nearly 3 million Americans vaccinated, a pace seen nowhere else in the world, leading off a task force briefing. The facts are, the claim is off-base. The government Center for Disease Control and Prevention reported that 2.9 million doses were recorded Saturday, but that total comes from uh, multiple days of vaccinations. Only 1.56 million doses were actually administered on Saturday, as currently reported by the CDC. That's far from a one-day record. The most productive day for vaccinations was February the 26th, when 2.8 million doses were actually administered. 
Although vaccinations are greatly increased overall in recent weeks, Saturday's total is barely above the number of doses administered by the day, uh, the day Biden took office. Slavitt said, in terms of protecting the most vulnerable, our core duty as a, as a nation, when, when it, we, we came into office, 8% of the people over age, age 65 were vaccinated. Today, he says, 60% are vaccinated. And according to the CDC's new guidance, uh, vaccinated parents can now visit and hug their grandchildren and in most circumstances without wearing a mask. The facts, this is just dead wrong. He's counting people who have received only their first dose as immune and able to mingle people, health officials stress that only fully vaccinated people can safely be around each other at low-risk people without distancing and masking recommend for the population at large. So the CDC says 61% of people over 64 have been vaccinated at least one dose, but only 31% are fully vaccinated. The Pfizer and Moderna vaccines each require two doses spread over weeks apart. The newer Johnson & Johnson vaccine requires only one dose. In all cases, it takes two weeks to build immunity after being fully vaccinated. So being misled a little bit there, in my opinion, uh, are you going to get vaccinated? So many people are just desperate to get vaccinated. I see people traveling, complaining, can't get appointments. I'm in no hurry. I don't know about you, but I think just taking care of your healthcare system uh, making sure that you're staying healthy, getting enough sleep, actually praying, and thanking for your good health, keeping your immune system healthy. I think that does more than all the other stuff combined. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Dave Bigo. Dave is the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's about the travails of dealing with union bosses over the course of two and a half years. And boy, do we have a lot to talk about with this administration and unions. That and more right here in the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. The dining scene in Naples is among the nation's finest. Get a first-hand experience with Naples Culinary Walks. Join a guided food walk with a terrific guide in a small group through elegant Naples neighborhoods known for destination restaurants. In three hours, you'll stop for small plates on your chosen tour. Dining walk choices include morning, afternoon, and evening offerings on 5th Avenue South, Downtown 3rd Street, Waterside, Galleria Shops at Vanderbilt, and more. Prices begin at only $46 a person, depending on the tour you select. To find out more and to make a reservation, visit NaplesCulinaryWalks.com. That's NaplesCulinaryWalks.com for a great value and a terrific dining experience. Do you have an extra auto you'd like to donate to charity? Maximize your tax deduction, support your favorite charity, and help a local child in need by calling Naples Auto Donation Center. Naples Auto Donation Center is a not-for-profit licensed car dealer. Just call NADC at 692-9840 and they'll take it from there. 
You get a properly documented tax deduction for whatever the vehicle actually sells for. Your designated beneficiary charity gets half the profit after fix-up costs, and the net revenue generated by NADC goes to Friends of Foster Children to provide tutoring and other enrichment activities for foster children the government doesn't provide. And NADC is also one of the few places in Collier County that sells inexpensive cars that actually run to folks who would otherwise not be able to afford one. It's a real win-win. Call Naples Auto Donations center at 692-9840 or visit the website nadckids.com you'll be glad you did welcome back to the bob harton show and now here's your host bob harton thanks so much for joining us here on the show we're providing you news and commentary rooted in the commitment to individual liberty, personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Right now we have with us Dave Beagle. As I mentioned before the break, he's the author of The Devil at Our Doorstep. It's the story of the travails of dealing with union bosses from SEIU over the course of two and a half years. Uh, The dirty tricks those folks played in order to get him to sign a neutrality agreement was just unbelievable. He prevailed... And uh, after two and a half years, they kind of slunk away like uh, rats on a sinking ship. And uh, he wrote a book about it. It's called The Devil at Our Doorstep. Dave, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Yeah, thanks, Bob. Uh, glad to be on with you. Yeah, Dave, and you know, uh, you've been almost prophetic. You had mentioned that uh, what the left has in mind when it comes to this administration and right now, we're seeing a real aggressive move to try and unionize all workers in the United States. At least that's part of this administration. What are your thoughts on all that? Well, Bob, it's, it's absolutely true. And uh, the reason is, and I've uh, mentioned it on your show before, is the unions control the Democratic Party and the far left. They want to control this country and, and run this country. And, um, you know, they got Biden elected. Uh, because of all the money they donated and all the uh, things they did during the election process to bring down Trump. And, um, you know, and now the um, Biden administration is, is paying them back for it. And, um, you know, it's just like this COVID bill that they passed. Um, there's um, $88 billion of that is going to the unions um, to uh, basically thank them for getting him elected. $88 billion going to the union bosses. To, to, yep. That is just, un, and that's out of this $1.9 trillion bill. Yeah. And it's just unbelievable. People don't understand this. And, uh, you know, and then this PRO Act that, uh, that they are, they just got through the House. Uh, it's uh, stunningly and brazenly opposed to giving workers choices. It was stripped millions, stripped from millions of workers the ability to make their own decisions about union participation, and um, and Biden's already promised to sign it if the Senate passes it, and um, it would it significantly overhaul uh, private sector collective bargaining laws since the 1940s, and um, and it's going to be big time in favor of unions so they can force unionized people across the country and. It'll basically eliminate right to work across the country. Well, that's the thing. As I understand it, they want to have a federal law against right to work, which, of course, means that even if you have a union shop, you can decide if you want to participate or not, because that's what means right to work is. So 
and and they want to do away with that. Yeah, they do because at the end of the day, um, they want to bring down this country. And, and Bob, if you read other articles now, I got an article um, about the former governor of Colorado, Dick Lamb, um, that he spoke recently out there, and um, uh, and his his whole speech was about um, uh, how to destroy America. And um, he's just part of this far left uh, and uh, unionized stuff too. It's hard to believe. Uh, it's hard. It's hard to believe that there's actually support for this kind of thinking. But do you think there's support that actually uh, within? Uh, don't you think there's going to be some resistance from the from uh, the GOP uh, against things like uh, getting rid of right to work? Well, I, I think there is. Um, but this, uh, they use their intimidation tactics and their um, their bribes and uh, and then, of course, their lies that they're telling people that, no, no, you'll get this or you'll get this and you'll be much better off and all that stuff. But at the end of the day, what they're going to be is a communistic country and live lives like people in, um, in Venezuela and Cuba and, and other places have lived. Yeah. What are your thoughts about what's happening on the border? Well, that's uh, they're doing that on purpose, and even the unions are for that because they want more people coming across that they can control, and and they get them to vote um, for the Democratic Party and for the union stuff, and uh, um, that's what this is all about. This isn't about America at all, and uh, it, it uh, they'll get them to work, but once they get them to work, and they get rid of right to work and and pass all these union laws that they want. They're going to force unionize these people, and the unions are going to get more money in their pocketbook. Yeah, that's unbelievable. Do you miss Donald Trump? <laughs> I'd miss the I miss the president so much. But when I watch what's going on. Did you see the speech last night uh, uh, that uh, our president gave? Biden gave. Yeah, and uh, it just. Um, you know, he's just reading directly off of uh, stuff that uh, they put together for him to read, and it's sad that um, where you know where he's headed in that. You know, and they're taking they're they're trying to you know take advantage of this COVID thing, saying that they're the ones that are getting uh, the most vaccines out and doing all this stuff and that. When that's just not true at all. No. And uh, you know, if it wasn't for what Trump done, it wouldn't have been ready when he came into office. And, uh, you know, uh, Trump did a great thing um, in getting the vaccines done on time. And uh, they're just trying to take advantage of it and take responsibility for it. So true. And, uh, well, I just don't, I don't know what to say here. I, th- I thought somehow, some way, there would be some resistance for passing the $1.9 trillion bill. Uh, the Senate is so close, 50-50, with the time broke uh, vote from the vice president. I, I just can't imagine that there wasn't, there wouldn't be a few Democrats who'd step out and say, hey, you know what, this is nonsense. I, you know, I don't want to support this. Well, I agree with you, Bob, but again, behind the scenes, my real concern is that these politicians, because the uh, the unions and that are giving them so much money, um, and, uh, you know, between what they're giving them money-wise and, you know, their intimidation tactics, they're controlling them and what how they're going to vote on these things. So, do you see any light at the end of the tunnel? 
Well, I'm hoping the American people wake up and uh, and uh, start to fight back. And I, I, I do see some um, uh, Republicans that are finally showing some backbone in that, but we need more to stand up and expose what's going on and, um, you know, and push back and um, expose these people and uh, on the far left and the unions for their lies and uh, what they're really trying to accomplish in that. And, um, you know, it bothers me, though, you know, they're, um, they talk about the media all the time uh, being, you know, uh, just talking in favor of the Democrats and stuff like that. But they don't. They never step up and and expose why that's true, and it's and it's true because the unions control the media. Yeah, it, it is a shame. One of the things that the president is doing, he's basically saying, "I want to eliminate rhinos from the, from the Republican Party." I mean, he is the de facto leader of the Republican Party right now. It's a pretty aggressive and, and I think bold stance that he's taking. He's saying, you know, not only do we want to support and, and gain the majority of uh, the House and the Senate, but we want to get rid of the rhinos that we have that are currently in office and replace them with people that are want, want to make America great again. That's a pretty aggressive uh, stance he has. Yeah, well, but I don't think he wants to make America great again. He's just talking about this stuff because that's what they put him up to. Behind the scenes, he's being controlled by um, Obama and... Uh, well, now I'm talking. I'm talking about Trump. Trump, rather, right now as uh, oh yeah, as uh, trying to replace rhinos. As a, and well, I agree with him on that. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that's an. Important and we do need to make America great again, but uh, we do have the the, uh, the problem on the left that I just talked about too. That uh, Biden is being controlled by Obama. And that and, you know a lot of these things are being put in place are things that Obama was working on um, before he had to leave office. Wow, sad day indeed. Again, uh, Dave Beagle, the author of The Devil at a Doorstep, I encourage you to get a copy of the book. It's a great read. You just can't make this stuff up. And it's actually the playbook for the Democrat Party. Uh, that you'll see the tactics that were used against Dave by the union bosses from SEIU are the same tactics that are being used by the Democrat Party. And we saw it during the election. We saw it in, in the threats and the intimidation against members of the House in, in Michigan and, and in uh, and Pennsylvania. So, uh, again, thedevilatourdoorstep.com is the website. And you can get a copy of the book on my website, as well as, of course, any uh, great book purveyor as well. The Devil at Our Doorstep by Dave Bego, B-E-G-E. B-E-G-O. Dave, always appreciate your commentary here in the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thanks, Bob, and have a great weekend. You as well. Thank you, Dave. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. Uh, we've got great guests from, for uh, Monday's show, including uh, Mark Schulman. Mark is the founder and publisher of HistoryCentral.com. We'll visit with... Uh, Larry Reed, the President Emeritus of the Foundation for Economic Education, and Jim McTagg, former Barron's Washington Bureau Chief and author of several books. His two latest are Shake the Money Tree, that, and uh, the uh, book before that is uh, Follow the Leader. Always appreciate your comments on the show. You can send me an email at bobharden at hotmail.com. If you'd like to be on the distribution list of the uh, newsletter that goes out after each show, again, bobharden at hotmail.com. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are, and great weekend as well. Namaste. 
thanks so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com. <laughs>